Hi, I hope everybody out there in podcast land is doing well. This is the Redheaded Preacher, and this is the podcast for Sunday, February 19th, 2023, Transfiguration Sunday. And uh, I'm the sermon, however, doesn't have anything to do with Transfiguration Sunday because last Sunday I committed to a three-part sermon series on reconciliation, and I talked about why that happened at the beginning of last Sunday's message, um, which was called Exploring Reconciliations, February, the February 12th podcast. And so this week, uh, the gospel will include the transfiguration story from, from the gospel according to Matthew, but the message is going to draw somewhat from the previous week but also on the passages from Genesis uh, chapter 45, Genesis 1, and at the end I will bring in the Ephesians passage. Our lector is Peter Svensson, uh, one of my confirmation students of many years ago, uh, but not that many. He's not an old guy or anything like that. Um, this message was a bit of a challenge to prepare because uh, it's called you know, reconciliation or exploring reconciliation, who and when. And it was hard to keep them separate. There's just a kind of uh, fuzzing of the line between how, excuse me, how is the next week, between with whom and when, and also with how. So as you listen, you'll hear me catch myself starting to cross into next week's um how we go about reconciliation for sure. But I catch myself and uh, just gives a little bit of a taste to what we'll be looking at. Um, so because of the, 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 it was hard to delineate, you know, between, at times between uh, to whom are we trying to reconcile and when do we do that? So I did my best. So it's sort of like a two-pointer but with some sub-points. I hope you enjoy this message. Uh, it, like I said, it was a challenge to write, but I certainly enjoyed preaching it, and I hope you will be edified by listening to it. Before going any further, I, and I know this has been a little bit of a longer intro, I do invite you to join me in a brief uh, moment of prayer. Great God, at the transfiguration, the disciples heard the voice from heaven say, This is my son, but listen to him. And we are reminded that we have to listen to what Jesus tells us. May we hear him speaking to us as we listen to this message. May my words, O Lord, May, excuse me, may your words have been in my mouth. Amen. And here's Peter with our readings for today's service. Our first readings are from the book of Genesis. The first is Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 31. The second is chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And now the second reading from Genesis, chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord to all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. 
This ends the reading from the book of Genesis. Our epistle reading, also about reconciliation, is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. The Jewish Christian writer addresses his Gentile readers about their new unity under God. Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit of the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints, and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together, and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you, will, you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This runs the reading from Ephesians. Our worship. Today we depart from the Sermon on the Mount, which has provided the Gospel readings the past several weeks, and hear another story of Jesus on a mountain. It is Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. This is Matthew's version of the Transfiguration, a story we traditionally hear on the Sunday before Ash Wednesday. The reference to six days later refers to six days after Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ, and Jesus predicted his upcoming suffering, death, and rising again. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, 
and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Here ends the reading from Matthew and our scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, God's holy word. In case you missed... This sermon is the second in a three-part series on reconciliation. Last Sunday, I spent time on the definition and the motivation for followers of Christ to practice reconciliation. For a definition, I offered this. The Oxford Dictionary says, reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relations the action of making one view or belief compatible with another. An instance of the latter, I said, is in the phrase, he aims to bring about a reconciliation between art and technology. The restoration of friendly relations uh, means there were disagreements between persons, groups, or individuals, or divided groups and persons, even institutions. As Anna Riley pointed out afterwards to me, though, there is also a financial definition to reconciliation. Now, as for a why, we have Jesus teaching his disciples. And we heard this last Sunday. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Now remember that that teaching is in the context of Jesus pronouncing judgment on anger and insulting our brother or sister, thereby demeaning them. And I also share that Jesus teaches not only to not nurse grudges and resentments, but also that if we do not seek reconciliation with the people we have hurt, we come to the altar in vain. Going a little bit further, Frederick Dale Bruner talks about when we as Christians put God first, we find ourselves putting people first because that's what God did in giving us God's Son. Jesus was putting people first. When Christians decide, Bruner said, to put Christ and his words first, we find that God bids us put the other person first. That's how we put God first. You know. We should be social, Bruner said, because we are evangelical in the best sense of the term, people of the good news. And that goes for the why behind broader 
reconciliations, as well as one-on-ones. Having given this bright, brief recap, with whom do we reconcile then? And under what circumstances? In last week's gospel, the who and when were a given. Who is your brother or sister who has something against you? And the when is when you remember they do, and you're even in worship. So I chose the second reading from Genesis because it is the climax of a biblical tale of reconciliation that takes place where reconciliation can and often does happen and can and and does sometimes is needed, family. Family is a who or with whom reconciliation can and does happen under the grace of God and the movement of God through those involved. Joseph most assuredly had something against his brothers not counting Benjamin, those brothers provoked, yes, but in gross overreaction sinned against their brother Joseph and sold him into what was slavery in Egypt. And there he was owned by others, did significant prison time for righteousness, and ended up, because of his gift of being able to interpret dreams, he ended up a key figure in Egypt. Pharaoh dreamt a fellow fellow inmate, remembered that gift because that's how he got, was, knew he was going to get freed. And, and, so, and then Joseph not only interpreted Pharaoh's dream, but he administered its interpretation so Egypt and its environs did not starve during a seven-year famine, but prepared for it ahead of time. Well, the brothers, they thought Joseph was dead. How would it occur to them to seek reconciliation with him, even if it ever did occur to them. Well, they wouldn't, because they thought he was dead. Yet it was in this case, the wronged man, the abused and abandoned man, whom his beloved father, Jacob, was told was dead, it is this person who initiated a reconciliation. It was not right away. And he did some very stressful things to them, to exact some emotional revenge. But in the end, he spoke and acted to restore the family relation and to give God the praise, seeing a bigger picture behind all of this. Another example of biblical reconciliation that I spent some time with and that I looked into was that between Esau and Jacob. Jacob only went through his meeting with Esau after wrestling with God or an angel at Jabba. Again, though, the injured party Esau, whose birthright was stolen, Esau was the one who made the opening towards meeting Jacob, his family and entourage, with generous gifts in a caravan before the two brothers did truly meet in person. In the world of one-on-one reconciliation, beyond family, We know to follow Genesis 1, which we heard Peter read, and include the human family. We are all made in the image of God. I may not be related as a family member to a church member, but if we take Jesus seriously, if I know 
a church member has something against me, according to Jesus, it is up to me to try and make peace with her or him or them. Or if you remember that a friend of yours is still cheesed off at you because you stole from her parents or messed with you at work by lying about him or whatever it might be, someone in the human family made in the image of God equally as you and me, loved by God as you and me, for whom Jesus went to the cross and rose again, as for you and me, there is a call from God for going to reconcile with her or him or them. No one, no one said this is easy. No, it's not easy in most cases. What keeps us back? Because even trying can make a positive change in you or me, if not in that person or a group who is approached. If we try, accountability has grown within us. Humbleness has grown. Courage, too, and perhaps faith. Whenever you or I say yes to trying to do the right thing or doing the right thing, Wonderful and unexpected things can happen as a result under the providential grace of God. Saying yes to leaving our comfort zone is vastly underrated in the realm of all kinds of growth, spiritual, emotional, mental, and social. No one said it is easy. Professor Bruner reminds us that reconciliation also has a social aspect to it. It's not just one person seeking to restore relations with another. People as a whole can do or not do things which create a need for reconciliation with other people as a whole. Remember, putting God first means putting the God who puts other people first. So we put people at the front of the line in living the good news, and in so doing, we're putting God first. To repeat something from last week, Bruner tells us the church that makes Jesus Lord will make the reconciliation with these historically neglected brothers and sisters first. Social reconciliation, he said, is the order of the day. Well, during Black History Month, as during the commemorations of Reverend Dr. King's birthday, we who are not African-American can listen and learn about an American history most of us did not learn at home or church or in school. And for those who might resist learning much of that or resist finding a when time to even think about racial reconciliation, resources like a book like White Fragility exist to help those who navigate those reticent or defensive reactions. The book has been thus described, referring to the defensive moves that some white people make when challenged racially, white fragility is characterized by emotions such as anger, fear, and guilt, and by behaviors including argumentation and silence. These behaviors in turn function to reinstate white racial equilibrium and prevent any meaningful cross-racial dialogue, end of quote. The book says it's meant to address this. I have not read the book. It is not a universally acclaimed book, 
African-American writer John John McWhorter summarized it in his view as talking down to black folk. He said, despite the sincere intentions of its author, the book diminishes black people in the name of dignifying us. That's from a July 2020 issue of The Atlantic. The United Church of Christ's white privilege, let's talk curriculum, was certainly educational to those of us who tackled that. And it's still available. Right now, the United Church of Christ is promoting its Join the Movement Toward Racial Justice initiative to foster courageous conversations about race and much, much more. It's coming out this year as a Lenten journey starting February 22nd, Ash Wednesday, and promises to be substantial just by my perusing it. There's a lot of parts to it. If someone's interested, go to ucc.org and search for Join the Movement to learn more about it and perhaps join the journey. Now, I realize I've started to cross over into next week's How of Reconciliation, but this also can count as preparation for reconciliation, and that is part of the when of this morning. I move to the when as I close this section with Whom Do We Reconcile in the Social Realm by again quoting Dr. Bruner from last week. Jesus is the classic advocate, he said, of human rights at the deepest levels. We do not know much really about hell. The word Gehenna comes from a burning garbage dump. Jesus invoked that in in the passage. One thing we do know is that behind Jesus' picture words, there is some kind of awful judgment for those who hurt other people. The holiness of God is at war with all bitterness and hatred and hurting. God's wrath, we think of God's wrath as God's judgment, and he says God's wrath is God's war of love against everything that unnecessarily hurts others. The wrath of God, he teaches, is the proof of the love of God. He concluded by saying the church today is surrounded with a third world in all three worlds that has lost, a, excuse me, that has a host of legitimate grievances against the ancient and modern materialisms of the church and so-called Christian West. The church that makes Jesus Lord, sounds familiar, I said this before, the church that makes Jesus Lord will make the reconciliation with these historically neglected brothers and sisters first, end quote. So when do we seek reconciliation? Well, let's talk about timing. Joseph waited a long time after his brothers arrived in Egypt looking for food. He didn't do it right away. Oh, my brothers, let's have this meeting. And only when Joseph broke down with what somebody called an Israelite passion, only when he broke down and before the brothers and told the story, saw God's hand in it doing new things, and the brothers mutually falling on their necks weeping, did it become real. The family of the patriarch was reunited, setting the stage for the 12 tribes of Israel later. I really liked what Walter Brueggemann had to say about this story and this moment. He wrote, there is something going on which the brothers had long since disposed of or thought they had. The terror and astonishment of the brothers is not unlike that of the early church with the disclosure of the live Jesus. 
family is suddenly set in a new context. Their presumed world has been irreversibly shattered. And Joseph, though, opens up to them a new future. Brueggemann said, the point is a central one in biblical faith. The power to create newness does not come from detachment, but from risky, self-disclosing engagement. The sovereign character of God's purpose can create a real newness, a genesis, an unextrapolated freshness, he said, which negates the past, defines the present, and opens futures. Hmm. When we undertake the difficult work of reconciliation because of our faith, it may serve God's purpose of bringing about something novel and holy, which would not happen otherwise, and which would not have happened if you or I or a group were a part of had stayed behind within our comfort zone saying, no, we're not trying that. When to reconcile? In a lot of cases, it might be most profitable after preparation. I mentioned one book in the UCC resources. There's also a book I have called I Beg to Differ, Navigating Difficult Conversations with Truth and Love by Tim Muehlhoff. From some things Jen Schneider has shared with me in the past, work done by her employer P-Link Leadership, and I did get her approval to say this because she said, yeah, that's true. Uh, Work done by her employer P-Link Leadership can have some helpful resources for such preparation, too. Just going to plinkleadership.com is a place to start, and there's even, you can get a free subscription to their couple times a month newsletter. When? Timing is indeed important. Sometimes, you know, Jesus directed that we go as soon as we realize a brother or sister has something against you, and then take care of it before we give our offering to God. But do we wait for tempers to cool if it was something that really is fresh? Or do we hash it out before going to bed? Marriage counselors sometimes say, don't go to bed angry. Sometimes when someone approaches me for advice about something like reconciliation or not, you know, maybe not to reconcile, I'll suggest that whatever they do or refrain from doing, it not end up being a regret later. Who wants to be haunted, as some of us can be, by, if only I'd... And sometimes our attempts at reconciliation get rejected. That's not because we did not try. As as I draw to a close, Ephesians teaches us about how Gentile and Jewish believers in Jesus were now one new humanity. And as I listened to Peter read this, it kind of, it, the power of the word struck me again. In addressing these groups of people who previously despised each other, but then they both, both people from both sides came to believe in Jesus. Paul addressed that. You're now one new humanity. Jesus is their uniting peace. P-E-A-C-E, leaving no room anymore for ethnic or religious barriers, animosity, or estrangement. 
because the forgiving blood was shed for all. And in one and the same faith, they are in the same new human family, the new humanity family. Same went for between Samaritans and Jews who believed in Jesus, Asian Christians and Ethiopians like the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, and on and on. You and I and all who trust and follow Jesus were reconciled to God back on Calvary and at the empty tomb. That's the when that comes before all of our whens and ifs. That was God's timing with all of us. And it is by God's power and grace that we, too, can be used by God to create something new in our lives and the lives of others by risking and perhaps achieving reconciliation. And that's good news. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Red-Headed Preacher Podcast. My name is Richard Lanford. I'm the pastor at St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. And um, next week, we'll conclude the series on reconciliation, and I will spend some time exploring how do we pursue reconciliation that's, uh, that could be a sermon series by itself instead of just one message. But I've had to, I will be limiting it to just uh, the one sermon for February 26th. I look forward to preparing that, and I hope you'll be able to tune into that when, uh, when, you're, when you're available, when time avails you. So thanks again uh, for, for giving us your time to spread the word. And may God bless you, and may God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much 